today, we declare once again, you are the reason why we are here. Father, I pray that we will hear from you in a very clear and specific way this morning. Father, I pray that you'll go to those in our midst who are carrying a heavy burden. God, there's some here today that their hearts are full of sorrow and grief. Lord, I pray that you will minister to them this morning. Lord, I think of Ted Freeland and his family. Lord, you know the surgery he's undergoing, probably even right now. I pray that you'll minister to him. Lord, for Kevin Lehman and his family, Lord, you know the challenging news that they're receiving. God, I pray that you will go to them. And Lord, those that these two represent all throughout our body. If we had time to list one after another after another of the the wounds and the illness and the challenge and the need that is represented here today, our hearts would be broken. Lord, you tell us that you see every single thing that happens. You are aware and you want to meet our need. Lord, I pray that you will do that again today. Lord, I pray for those that are celebrating today, that they will see whether in celebration or in challenge, you are still God. As we come to your word, I pray that we won't just hear your word today. I pray that we will be doers of your word. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. There's a theme verse for this series. We're going to look at this one more time again this morning. Last week we started a series entitled Decision 2012. How will you decide? Last week we looked at how there is all kinds of people grappling for your attention with political ads, with debates, with pundits giving their opinion on how you should vote in the next number of weeks. And the question is, how will you decide? Last week I mentioned that There's some who feel like, you know what, talking about anything about politics and church is a dangerous thing. Let's just leave that out. But, friend, I want to remind you, as we looked at last week, God has not changed. His word has not changed. But our culture is ever rapidly changing. And their definition of what is religious or biblical or godly and what is political is changing all the time. And, friend, we cannot stop proclaiming what God's word says. Last week we saw that... There's an even greater tragedy than you voting in a way for a candidate who you may not feel like would represent God's interests. I think we could get to heaven and we could have a perfect voting record. To the best of your ability, the best of your knowledge, you voted every single time for who you felt like would represent God's agenda best. But yet in your own life, you did not allow God to weigh in on your own decisions. What a greater tragedy. Today... I want us to not only look that God cares about the little decisions of your life, He cares about the big decisions as well. As I shared last week, it's of my opinion, it may not be yours, it's my opinion that this election coming up is a very big decision. But if you disagree with me, that's okay. Uh, that's, that's my opinion. God's Word says you don't get off the hook about not praying and fasting for how you'll vote. Because whether you see it as a little decision or a big decision, God wants to be involved in all of our decisions. I want to challenge you, church, to join in prayer with me. If you are an American citizen who has the right to vote, 
It is your responsibility to select, to vote for leadership that you feel like honors God. See, it doesn't really matter what candidate I want. It doesn't really matter what candidate you want. It matters what God wants. That's how we make decisions in the little things in life. That's how we make decisions in the big things in life. As we're praying and fasting together, I want you to allow God to talk to you about some things. Now, there, there may be a few areas that you want to continue to research or do study or prayer on. In this election, it's not just one or two issues. In fact, in any election, I'd argue, it's not just one or two issues. The media may pick one, two, or three, but there's a whole host. It's not my responsibility today to talk about one political party over another, but for the sake of discussion, if we just say party A or party B or candidate A or candidate B, they have very different opinions and views, and so this will require you to make a godly decision how they view the Constitution. Is it a living document or is it a literal fixed-meaning document? In essence, those who are called to interpret it, can they make it into something that was never originally intended to say? Or do they hone back to what its original intent was? The debate is back and forth on this issue. It's not just on the uh, Constitution and how we apply that. Freedom of religion. It appears that party A may see that freedom of religion would be more a freedom from religion. The the goal would be to, to have the public life void of religion and and not to have that. But party B may say freedom of religion is freedom for every individual to exercise their convictions in private and in public. You do your research and you pray and say, God, how would you lead me? No matter who is elected, most likely the president will be involved in appointing another Supreme Court justice. This is someone who has great authority in the land and we need to prayerfully make this decision. As I shared last week, that though it may not be popular today, God's word still is clear on issues of abortion and family. Some would say that that's just a a, a one or two issue view. You know what? There is more than one or two issues. I'm trying to speak to some of those today. But you know what? If you are not alive, the rest of your liberties don't have much value to you. And so the issue of life is very important. One party may say one and one may say another. Pastor Brady, I don't like where this is going. I don't want you to talk about this or that. Well, friend, I like you. In fact, I love you. But I believe God wants us to apply his principles in every area of our life. And I think this is one of those areas. So I'm asking you to pray and you to fast and you to search God's word for what he would tell you. Don't listen to me. Heaven forbid. On anything that I preach about, don't just take my opinion. You search God's word and you say, God, what would you want me to vote for? There's a number of other issues and we'll get to that in in the weeks to come. But the goal of this series is not just to highlight some issues in the election. I believe God told me, in fact, I'm confident God said, Brady, the people need to vote according to me. But far greater than missing a vote would be to miss our life and living for him every single day in the little and big decisions. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6 again. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. This is a passage that we have, many of us, memorized early on. Some in caravans, some in Sunday school, some by mentors. When we see that in all of our ways, that's in every way we are going to acknowledge Him. If we're going to make 
good decisions in the big things in life. There's a few things that I believe we have to get real serious about and honor God in. We looked at living in the overflow of his presence last week and how we make decisions even when we don't have time. That's why we press into his presence. But on these bigger decisions, I want to argue that first, we have to look at what we don't know. Well, when I'm making decisions, I'm going to look at what I do know. But we have to start with what we don't know. You see, we have to understand our lack of understanding. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this, For my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts declares the lord as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts you see we've got to begin this decision making process friends and all the big decisions of life with the understanding that our ways are not his ways and our thoughts are not his thoughts you go well duh well if we skip this step everything else doesn't work some of us We may be more apt to to pray and seek God and these little things, but when it comes to a big issue of life, I mean, that's where i got to weigh in. That's where I'm going to use my skill set. That's where I'm going to make my decision. But we need to say, God, your ways and thoughts are not my ways and thoughts. There is a God. He exists. His ways are higher than your ways. And guess what? You are not that God. And I am not that God. Acknowledging how much I don't know. Before I'm making a decision. You see, I will not truly seek God's direction until I acknowledge who He is and who I am. And when you're making a decision, whatever you would categorize as big, it may be a career change, it may be a a choice on who to marry, it may be on where you're going to school, it may be on a relationship, it, it may be a business deal, whatever you would categorize as this big decision, have you acknowledged who you are? I'm not trying to get you to think bad about yourself, but even in the best light, you are no match for God and His wisdom. Who He is and who you are should greatly impact how and what you decide. Second, we need to look at what we need to know. If we looked at what we don't know, what is it we need to know? We need to know the will of God. You may want to turn with me or you want to jot down in your notes 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I want to suggest to you today, I think a good portion of us do not believe this in the Bible. I know no one wants to stand up. I was going to have you raise your hand. I don't think anybody wants to raise their hand. I don't believe that part of the Bible. But by the way we live or the way we pray or the way we act, I don't know if we believe it. If we ask anything in his name, in his will, he will give it to us. Those who study the Word know that the importance is on asking in His will. So what is His will? What is it, God, that you desire? If we ask for what it is you desire, you will give it to us. We can have great confidence that when we pray, God will answer when we're asking in His will. Well, the Bible talks about God's will in three, at least three different categories. One is the providential will of God. The the moral will will of God and the personal will of God. Hang with me here for a second. I know you can get this. I'm proud of you guys. You can do it. The providential will of God refers to those things that God is going to do regardless. God is God. There's some things he's going to do just because he's God because he wants to. That's the providential will of God. 
In Galatians 4, 4 through 5, is an example of this. When we read this, we see that God is saying, I am going to send my son to the world as the Messiah. God decided he's sending Jesus to this earth. Now, God's going to do what he was going to do regardless of what happened. That's the providential will of God. We see this also in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. It says that one day all of us are going to stand before God in, in judgment, and, and we are going to be before him. Not because someone here said, hey, God, could we stand in front of you and kind of give account of our life? We kind of like that. You didn't ask that. You didn't pray for that. It wasn't because somebody wanted that. God said, this is what I'm going to do. This is my providential will. It's what I want to have happen, and therefore that will happen. We also see in Scripture the providential will of God for Jesus to return. It's not because we ask for it. This is not because of your obedience or lack thereof or your prayers or lack thereof. Jesus will be coming back because of God's providential will. Now, now, just because it's not dependent on your obedience or your prayer doesn't mean that we don't have any impact from this. Now, this is amazing. If I was God, I'd never do this. Thank goodness I'm not God. God says there's things that I'm going to do because I want to do it, and I'm going to do it through you. All throughout history, all throughout the Bible, God chooses to use men and women to accomplish his providential will. For example... God says, I'm going to send my son to earth because I want to. No one's going to stop me. So Mary, I'm going to use you. God has a providential will, and he is looking for men and women to accomplish his will. Not because he can't do it on his own, because he has chosen to use us. Second, there's a moral will of God. Hang with me. This is, this is good. You're going to need this. There's a providential will of God, and then there is the moral will of God. The moral will of God refers to the do's and don'ts in Scripture, God's commandments. We have the Ten Commandments, and there's all other kind of commandments. This is God's moral will. The things that you don't have to pray about. You know, friend, you don't have to pray today, should I lie today? i just kind of wondering. God, I'm seeking your wisdom today, should I lie? Well... The ninth commandment says you should not bear false witness. You don't have to pray about that. God's already said that. I'm just kind of wondering today, should I commit adultery? Just kind of wondering. God, you know, I want to make the right decision here, and I'm not sure. Seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. God has a moral will that he's already given to us in Scripture. And when we obey that moral will, there is power in that. His providential, what he's going to do regardless because he's God. His moral will, the do's and don'ts, the instructions that are very specific in Scripture, that is his will. And then also, we have... Number three, the personal will of God. This refers to the personal decisions and plans for our lives. God, should I marry this person or should I marry that person? Should I take this job or should I take that job? Should I move here or should I move there? Should I stop this relationship or continue this relationship? Should I be a part of this or should I be a part of that? God will speak to us in our personal lives. He has a personal will for us. Now, don't miss this. The more familiar... You are with the providential will of God, and the more surrendered you are to the moral will of God, the easier it will be for you to find the personal will of God. Oh, that's good. We've got to say it again. The more 
you are familiar with the providential will of God, and the more that you surrender yourself to the moral will of God, the easier it is for you to find the personal will of God. You say, well, why do I care about that? We all want to know how to make decisions. We all want to know what God wants us to do. Well, how do I know what God wants me to do in my personal life? Well, I need to be familiar with what He's already done and His providential will. I need to be surrendered to His moral will. And something happens when we begin to live with an understanding and a surrendering to His providential and moral will. It becomes much easier to find His personal will. You know, those who are involved in construction, not me, will will know this as a plumb line. At least that's what I'm told. It could be called something else, but I have no idea. I'm told this is a plumb line. You know, I, I, to be honest, have never used a plumb line. But when I read about it and I talk to those who have loaned it to me, I'm told that you could build, if you wanted to, an entire structure using only this as your guide to get it level, to get it square, to get it straight. You see, the law of gravity will pull this weight down. And the string will always go perfectly straight up and down because of the law of gravity that's involved here. God's providential will and his moral will is a plumb line. It's a standard. It's the straight line by which you can build everything else around. God will never lead you to do anything in your personal life, his personal will for you, that will contradict his providential or his moral will. You don't have to say, God, I wonder if you want me to, to hate my neighbor. Well, I mean, you don't know what they, let me tell you what they did to me first. I, I mean, let me get the whole picture out. God has already weighed in on this issue. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. God, when I know your providential will and your moral will, it helps me. It's a guide to much quickly apply your personal will in my life. God's providential will and his moral will will determine the plumb line for everything else God is going to ask you to do. It's the standard by which we make decisions. So now we see that we've understood what we don't know. We understood, understand what we need to know God's will. But We need to now look at the best decision maker of all time and begin to drill into the nitty gritty of now making those decisions. Jesus is the greatest decision maker of all time. And scripture, we want to look at how he has weighed in to make some decisions. The Bible tells us that Jesus was fully God and fully man. He had limitations in the flesh. He was tempted. He was tested. He was tried just like we are. I want us to look at the process that Jesus appears to use throughout Scripture and see how we can learn from that. Scripture tells us that he went into the desert, the wilderness, and he was fasting and he was praying for 40 days. And the enemy came to him and began to tempt him, try to lay out a plan to mess him up, to get him all fouled up. The enemy does the same to you and I. And you can look there. We find this in Matthew 4, 4 and 4, 7 and 4, 10. And Every single time, Satan would throw out some kind of temptation to him, and Jesus answers with these same words over and over and over. It's these same words that I believe if we take in the form of a question will be a great help to us. In fact, Jesus asks all throughout Scripture what I call these is-it questions. The first is, is it written? Jesus would say, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. It is written, You should not tempt the Lord your God. 
It is written, you shall worship and serve the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus was relying on the scripture about what is written. When we are making decisions in our life, as the plumb line is there, are we asking the question, is it written? Now, some of you, I can see in your brain. You didn't know I could see in your brain, but I can see partway in your brain. You go, I graduated from this already. This is like elementary stuff. Now, I've been walking with God for decade after decade after decade. I, I know these things. Can you give me some meat? Friend, I want to challenge you. When was the last time you made a decision and you said, God, I want you to know that I don't have a clue of what I'm supposed to do. I have some ideas, but those ideas are not even a clue compared to you. God, I want to know your will. God, I'm going to be so familiar with your providential, your moral will, that now I am going to ask the question, is it written? Friends, there's some of us in this room today, we're faced with decisions. You don't need to pray about it. You don't need to seek more counsel about it. You need to read God's word. What does it say? Many times it will directly speak to the decision that you are trying to make. Sometimes it will be explicit. Sometimes it's implicit with a principle. God's word is there for you to use and to slingshot you forward. Is it written? Ask yourself that question. But we make some pretty bad decisions because we we don't ask the is it written question. We go with things like, I'm going to trust my gut on this one. I'm going to kind of go with my heart. There's a problem. You can get some bad stuff in your gut and it can skew it. You can have one too many slim gyms and then it begins to affect your whole day. You could try to trust your heart and someone may have been cross with you and and your heart is hurt and wounded and it's going to affect all your decisions. Just trusting your gut, just trusting your heart is a very bad way to have a plumb line for your decision. Some of us, we say, well, you know what, I'm just going to let my conscience be my guide. That may sound a little bit better and it would please Jiminy Cricket, but your conscience can be seared. You do the wrong thing long enough and pretty soon it won't affect you. Well, I don't feel guilty. How many of you know, it doesn't matter if you feel guilty. You can do it so many times that you've lost feeling of guilt because you have, you have grieved your conscience, and, and now your conscience is seared. Now, there's hope for you. Don't miss next week. We're going to talk about that. There's, there's not hopeless for you, but don't just say, I'm going to let my conscience be my guide. Well, if it feels right, I'm going to do it. God's going to ask you, friend, to do some things that may feel dead wrong. Because your feelings are affected by things of this world which are not in alignment with God. I don't care if you've walked with God for 10 years or 10 minutes or 50 years or 50 minutes. We need God to help us make His decisions in the big things in our life. Another question is, is it love? Is it written and is it love? John 9, 1, we read, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. I don't have the time to go into all the context and the history of this passage, but just set up a little bit. Jesus, just imagine he's walking down a dusty road and he's there in the Middle East and he's leaving a temple and maybe they're in a courtyard area and there's all these Pharisees around. You know about them. They're the religious teachers. They've got it all down. They, they know the law in and out. And they've created a few themselves. And they're watching to see what's going on. And Jesus walks by this man who was blind from birth. You can almost feel the decision in the air. 
It's the Sabbath, and man's law says to do no work of any kind. And Jesus sees this man who's in great need, and he has something to offer him. Jesus has to decide, am I going to make a decision of compassion, or I'm going to make a decision of cooperating with man's law. He says, I'm going to bring healing to this man. You see, when he brings healing to this man, the religious leaders get all upset and they say, this is horrible, you should never do this. But Jesus says, there is a greater law and effect than man's law. He he thinks back here, let's look at Matthew 22 and 27, when Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And in verse 39, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus had the option in the temple that day to do the customary thing, the the cooperating thing, or to do the compassionate, the loving thing. Jesus chose to ask the question, is it love? He did the loving thing. Now, loving is not always tender. It's not always just the, the soft, nice thing. I want you to think with me in Matthew 19 when Jesus met the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus at the right time. He asked the right questions. He said, what must I do to have eternal life with you? And Jesus, the decision is weighing in the air. This guy had a lot of money. He could put a lot of money in the coffers for Jesus' ministry. Would he tell him what the rich young ruler wanted to hear to placate to him? Or would he speak the truth in love? That would be tough. He said, "I, I tell you, there's one thing holding you back. You just need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And Jesus asking that for everybody, no, but he saw this man. It wasn't that he had possessions. The possessions had him. And the loving thing was to say, I need to confront you. You love your stuff more than you love people and more than you love God. You need to get that out of the way. The loving thing is compassionate, and sometimes it's tender, but it's sometimes tough, but it's always the right thing. Is it written? Is it love? God, I want you to help me know if I should uh, take this promotion at work. I'm searching your word, and I don't see any direct quote there, and I'm looking for principles, and there may be a few, but God, is this the loving thing for me to do? Am I loving my family by this promotion? Am I lovingly using my gifts at work, or am I just seeking myself? Is it written? Is it love? And finally, there's a third and final question I want us to see. Jesus often asks, is it on the agenda? In Luke 19.10, we find the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Who is that? That's you and I. That was his agenda. That was his mission, his purpose in life. To live a sinless life, to die a sacrificial death on the cross, and to rise again. That was his purpose. So the question isn't on the agenda for Jesus. It was, am I doing what I need to do to live a sinless life and to give my life on a cross for mankind? When Christ was hanging on a cross for hours, a few hours before he died, with his flesh tearing and blood pouring out of his wounds, gasping for breath, the crowd would taunt him saying, if you're the son of God, just take yourself down from there. Now, if we believe what Scripture teaches us, that he's fully God and fully human, there had to be a part of him that would say, well, you know, I, uh, I kind of could take myself down. I mean, I don't know if the Father really wanted me to go all the way through with this. And it'd be pretty miraculous for me just to kind of jump down and, you know, speak healing to my hands and 
maybe they would believe in me and my father, and maybe we'd take care of this, and, and maybe I could do that. I don't know if you've been in pain. I mean, like real pain. You've like dislocated your knee or broke your ankle, or you've done something, you know, and, and it's just like, give me some relief. I am a huge baby when it comes to pain. If I'm hurting, you and everyone around me will know it. I don't feel like I want to go through this pain without you knowing. Some of you are so much more gracious with, gracious with your pain. I need to learn from you. I just want anything to stop it, get rid of it. And Jesus in his humanness, fully God and fully human, had to have the temptation to just stop the pain. But he asked the question, it was settled in the garden, is this on the agenda? Father, take this cup from me. But if this is your only way, I will do your will at all costs because I want your agenda over my agenda. Friend, a lot of us, we need to ask this question. God, is this on your agenda for my life? He has a personal will, a plan for your life. It's not going to contradict his providential will or his moral will. When you get to know them and you surrender to them, it'll be easier to find this. But ask God, God, would this outcome of this decision further your agenda in my life or would it block your agenda in my life? See, many of us, we're not so sure that we need God that bad. I mean, it's just kind of wearing you out hearing all this, let alone walking through those paces to make good to godly decisions. Here's the bottom line this morning. God does not give us direction for consideration. God gives us direction for participation. See, God is not going to give you direction. He's not going to speak to you on the big matters of life or the small matters of life for you to consider it. If you've prayed and you've asked God for guidance and you feel like he's silent, it could be that you are praying, asking God, so you can consider if you like his answer or not. He will not reveal his will to you for you to weigh in and go, uh, five and a half God on a scale of ten, so I'm going to do part of it. He will reveal his will, his will to you so you can participate in the things of him. God is very faithful to provide leadership, we are often very resistant to accept it. See, when we surrender to the known will of God, it paves the way to discover the unknown will of God. Friend, I want to suggest to us today that before we want more insight from God, let's be obedient with what He's already told us. God and His providential will has been speaking to you. In his moral will, he's been speaking to you. It should guide what you do in your personal life. You see, when we uh, look at election month, coming up here in November, all of these things about the decision that we need to make, they are very important. I'm serious. I want you to pray and fast with me. You're not responsible for my vote. I'm not responsible for yours. We're not trying to to cram something down someone else's throat. Here's a lie of the enemy. Uh, um, This is extra, all right? This isn't in here. This is free. I'm not charging you for this. This is extra stuff. You know what? When someone tries to say, you know what, that, that is so narrow-minded of, of you and the religious right, and, 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 you, and that, is, that is not loving, and, and if you would, would share those things, that's not loving to someone else. Do you understand what they're saying to you? They're saying, you do not have the right to vote your conscience because we don't think that's the loving thing. You have every responsibility to vote the way you feel God is calling you to vote. 
All I'm asking you to do, and church, what we have to raise up and stop treating decisions like the election is if I just pick who I like better, or I pick who I think will help me better, or I pick who I think would, would be more popular, or uh, God, I actually want to pray and tell you, I know that I don't know. God, I want to tell you, I know that I need your will. God, I want to ask you, what is already written that can apply to this decision? God, I want to ask you, what is the loving thing to do? Sometimes it is tender, sometimes it is tough, but it is always God's loving compassion. God, what is on your agenda for me to make this decision? Because you and I answer to God. And let's allow this election time where there is a very big decision, in my opinion. It's cool if you think it's small. You've still got to seek God in that. To remind us of the weight we have every single day to make good decisions in the little things and the big things of life. I want to end with this. This weight is not one that you go, oh my, David, I can barely make it today. I feel like if I get it wrong, God's going to zap me. I know we're supposed to have breakfast, but kind of scared that I may make a wrong decision of where we're supposed to go. Friend, this is freedom. I've settled this. God, you are my God. You are my authority. God, when you prick my heart, I am going to go wherever you call me to go and do whatever you want me to do. We can hang out. I don't have to worry. I don't have to fret because guess what? God and his conviction is bigger than me and my humanness. And if I say yes to him, ultimately, he will guide me how to vote. He will guide me where to go. He'll guide me who to marry. He'll guide me what to do. And the question is, church, do you even want him to guide you? Well, I want him to save me, but God, do you really still speak today? Do you really even care about my decisions? God, if you do, would you really let me in on your agenda for my life? The answer is absolutely yes. Next week, if the Lord allows me, I want us to talk about hope and life's really bad decisions. Because if we're honest, we've all made some dumb decisions at times. And we need to say, God, what would you have for us when we've blown it and making a bad decision? I don't want you to miss that. If you're here today and you're feeling conviction in your heart, obey what God's telling you. Shed the rest of it and come ready to receive hope. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that your word is true every single day, no matter how we feel or no matter what we think. I thank you that you did not just create us and say, go try to figure out how to live life. You've created us to be dependent on you, and we have our best life ever by living according to your will. Lord, I pray that you will speak to my brothers and sisters today, that the confidence will rise, that anything they ask in your name according to your will, it will be done. I pray that we will live in that victory together. It's in your powerful name that we pray today. It's in your gracious name that we can get close to you and worship you today. And it's in your name that provides all that we need that I bless my brothers and sisters today as they take off. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let it be so. God bless you. Don't miss next week as we see the hope that God has for us.